Hello listeners, welcome back to another episode of Quote Unquote with KK. I am now closing the season of 2021 and if you recall, we had done a mini real estate series where we had invited uh, leaders from the Indian real estate sector. Karan Virwani had spoken about the future of commercial real estate and co-working in India and then we had Dr. Ashwinder who spoke about the future of residential real estate in India. And today I have invited a doyan of the Indian real estate industry, Anuj Puri, to our podcast to wrap up this mini-series. For those who don't know about Anuj, let me quickly walk through his profile, which is very illustrious. Anuj started his career in real estate and he is currently the chairman and founder of Anarok. Uh, over the last 30 years, Aruj has worked with various real estate companies. Until uh, February of 2017, Anuj was the chairman and country head of uh, international property consultants called JLL India. And uh, he was overseeing a team of 9,000 employees across 11 cities. At JLL Asia Pacific Group, Anuj was the leader and also head of global retail and leasing board. Anuj also has been on several industry forums like the PIKI and also on boards of various other institutions and companies. He has also been part of the industry group Kredai and Anuj holds several honors and awards and citations from various publications and institutions. Welcome to our show Anuj. It's a pleasure hosting you on Quote Unquote with KK. Thank you very much, uh, Kapil. Uh, it's a delight uh, to be on your show. I'm looking forward to our conversation over uh, over the next uh, half an hour or so. Great. There are two very, very critical issues in the minds of investors. What's happening in China? And is Evergrande the another Lehman that's going to poop the party of inward investments coming into India in the next year or so. What's your take? There are a lot of things being written in the media, but I would love to get it out from your uh, side. What's going to really happen? So Kapil, uh, it's, a, it's a worry that uh, many of us had a couple of months ago when we first heard about uh, Evergrande uh, default that was uh, going to inevitably happen. And the thought was whether this is the beginning of a Lehman crisis, because during that time also, uh, this is how it had all started. And then it bundled into real estate and Evergrande being a real estate developer uh, amongst the largest in China. Did it mean that it was beginning of another global financial crisis? Having said that, uh, very quickly, within sort of a week or 10 days of that news, a uh, couple, we discovered that this wasn't going to be another Lehman crisis uh, on several accounts. Uh, one, you know, from the time when Lehman had happened, uh, yes, the quantum was the same between Lehman and Evergrande teapots, but the global economy has grown significantly. So as a percentage, uh, it wasn't as significant as at the time in 2008 Lehman was. So Evergrande, given the overall global economy expansion since 2008, it wasn't as a percentage reflection, a very large proportion of uh, the global markets. The second uh, was that uh, this was largely limited to China and uh, it wasn't as much of a free market 
issue as it was pertaining to China. Many of us know uh, that you know there has been a fair amount of investment into real estate that has been done in China. A number of houses that have been uh, apartments have been constructed. They remain unoccupied at this moment in time, and it does look like you know there is a, a sort of a bubble on the residential market uh, that has been built in uh, China. So you know that's also a reflection of what uh, has happened on Evergrande. The third the good point, however, has been is that if the Chinese government wanted it not to fail, they could have easily protected it. Uh, it isn't a big uh, game. But they said is let it go through the free market forces. Uh, and that was very good from the perspective that uh, they let uh, Evergrande go, go down uh, without really interfering. In that, and that sent a positive uh, sentiment into the into the market. And lastly, uh, given that uh, this is a lot more local in China, the the impact of this wasn't felt on many global firms. Uh, as a result of which, they continued to do their normal course of business, and their business did not get disrupted uh, because they had not any meaningful stake. Uh, within the Evergrande. So from, from, from the proportion of what Lehman was at that time to the global economy to what it is Evergrande to the global economy, different scale. Uh, Alibi a lot smaller scale now, uh, given that it was largely restricted to the Chinese market. And we know that there are some uh, real estate residential uh, issues that are being built up uh, on the Chinese uh, residential market. Largely being a very local domestic play, it did not have ramifications uh, globally, and hence you know that crisis appears to have gone past us. And I don't think that is going to hound us in the times to come. So India seems to be insulated. Uh, no crisis of inner inward investment and allocation to real estate in this part of the world because of the Chinese crisis. Is that true if I were to say that India would continue to get inward investments? So uh, that's a very good point, uh, Kapil, that you uh, mentioned. Clearly, we are seeing is that uh, most of the corporates out of China, you know, whether these are uh, manufacturers, or whether these are institutional investors, whether these are just American corporates, uh, you know, they're saying we need a policy which is China plus one. It's a new word that I heard. China plus one. So we'll definitely be in China, whether it's for manufacturing, outsourcing, or whether it's as investors, but we do want to de-risk ourselves. So, you know, is it that the fourth or the fifth manufacturing plant that they were putting together for outsourcing, will they continue to do it in China? Not necessarily. They are saying is that we want to look at one other alternative because if something was to happen into China, then we have at least an alternate base. Now, is that base India on the manufacturing side? I, I hope India has a very good prospect and we will be able to attract a number of these companies who are wanting to outsource their manufacturing either from Europe or the US. But Kapil, to be honest, at this moment in time, they have a number of choices, you know, whether that is Correct. sort of Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia, India. Uh, so, you know, these corporates are also looking at it that China plus one, uh, it doesn't automatically mean that it is India, that plus one. Uh, you know, we we will have to fight 
you know some of these other countries in asia pacific and uh, and that's where I, I think support of the government uh, is very crucial and the way the policies that the government has been able to accommodate and adjust we're we're seeing that they're cognizant of the opportunity that this has thrown on the manufacturing particularly within the indian environment where the corporates are saying is that we may not set up our fourth or fifth factory in china for for outsourcing but uh, look at something else and if india has become that much more attractive uh, then india is our choice excellent and i will come to the policy side with you shortly the recently concluded dubai expo on the sidelines we did hear a lot about india and india uh, although our uh, algo based fund is very bearish on china what was your take uh, and about the investors uh, at the dubai expo are they feeling very positive about india are they going to invest into the indian real estate and different uh, opportunities that indian real estate opens up to them uh so kapil uh, in 2012 you know uh, i was doing these rounds uh, with the investors in the us uh, to bring them into india right and uh, in one of the meetings i was sitting with uh, uh, an investor and uh, he turned his computer towards me and there was a yellow posted chit stuck on his computer screen it said india i n d i a i will never do it again mm-hmm. so that's oh, wow. the that's the reputation on the real estate that we've had in the past now when you're speaking with these investors they're certainly saying is well this is very exciting and intriguing we definitely want to come and have a play in india and you know these are not words in the calendar year 2020 and a couple this is like the covid period calendar year right. 2020 we have had the highest foreign direct investment come into india in real estate you know nearly 6.3 billion dollars highest ever in the calendar year 2020 so it is not just mere sort of lip, lip service that is being done by foreign institutional investors they are actually putting in dollars but where are these dollars going these dollars are going into listed real estate entities like we've seen with lodhas or with uh, shriram properties they are going into reits you right. may recall couple that uh, during the pandemic rahejas listed their office reit rupee right. listed their office reit uh, and so these foreign direct investment investors are putting it in there or they are putting it in hard asset classes which are income generating which means offices which means uh, sort of warehouses data centers retail malls where the money is not going is the residential on equity side because they are like we don't want to necessarily take the development risk right uh, they're saying is that we'll invest with a developer in a listed company so whether it's you know godrej or obroy or prestige etc but we're not going to give equity money to the developer and take equity risk on the residential development we are happy to buy completed offices income generating assets we are happy to buy completed warehouses or based on the income but not necessarily to take residential development risk and that's where we have seen that majority of the investors 
have been very keen on income generated office assets or then investing into real estate listed entities but not into residential as equity base and obviously with the money and the the way the the debt market has behaved in the last year there is a lot of liquidity in the market so if there is a good project i'm sure investors other than the foreign investors who may be a little bit risk averse would definitely invest and we are seeing that the larger developers their share of the total real estate has been increasing absolutely and you know this is the theme that uh, kapil we're seeing across all sectors which is consolidation so the strong are becoming stronger and the weak are becoming weaker in the real estate segment as well if you were to look any of these stakeholders you know whether these are developers or whether these are nbfcs uh, whether these are uh, intermediate intermediaries everywhere we are seeing consolidation uh, happen and that's where these strong are getting a disproportionate benefit i mean look at it how lodha got listed and then immediately after the listing within a period of 12 months he's done the qip at a higher price and the qip has been a roaring success right uh, we we've seen shiram properties you know getting listed there are three or four more uh, you know yes. ipo uh, contenders on the residential side that uh, we will uh, we will see so so clearly there is enough money coming in for good quality developer good quality stakeholders because the investors do believe that consolidation is taking place with uh, you know during this covid time in any sector and real estate is also seeing that consolidation so the ability of the stronger to benefit more is where we are seeing attraction of the investors and within the space these strong players are eating somebody else's lunch as a result of which disproportionately getting the benefit during these uh, these times so 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 exactly what you're saying is that uh, the uh, ability of good quality developers to be able to uh, get a larger share of the market is very evident but my point is that it is not only just developers in real estate it's also intermediaries it's also funders where they are consolidating and it's also industries outside real estate where we are seeing the consolidation take place and the ability of strong players to be able to either buy out the weak players or then the weak players just perish uh, given uh, their inability to withstand the competition rightly put anuj i want to to pick up on this point of consolidation and you know our algos are picking up very strong you know signals especially in sectors which were slow to revive during the pandemic uh, especially 2021 2020 2021 which had a, a lot of muted demand such as offices retails malls industrial hospitality and they the investors definitely feel that there is an opportunity and a huge upside in this space including healthcare if you may and we have also seen in our own sector the healthcare where some of the larger us brands which a few years back when i was looking to get into a tie up after exiting one of my investments they were very busy with the us they said you know we don't have time for india and now suddenly you see a sign up with the embassy builders and how are you seeing this whole consolidation is it a broad brush or is it is it happening very strongly in a certain segment like commercial or or in residential 
what's your view on and what's going to happen in 2022 so i would say is on the real estate uh, couple uh, if we start to peel the onion on the commercial Correct. side the consolidation had already taken place following the 2008 global financial crisis Correct. by 2011 that consolidation had sort of pretty much got sealed about three dozen top developers uh, you know who, who have nearly 80% of the office market so that is how consolidation of the office happened then uh, you know came in the retail from 2008 when it started to really i would say 2014 15 we saw the consolidation for the retail mall developers and about a dozen and a half got left that's how small the market became uh, with uh, with the retail developers the big part of the equation was the office uh, sorry the residential developers and by the way residential couple is nearly 80% of the indian real estate market and that right. had not gone through consolidation during the global financial crisis that's what we have seen perhaps from 2000 and sort of 16 onwards demonetization rera gst then the nbfc crisis which started from the ilfs uh, debacle and now covid So right. this all this has led to large scale consolidation on the residential so to answer your question the consolidation has taken place in real estate but they have taken place at different times due to different reasons starting from offices in 2008 global financial crisis and perhaps ending with residential i would say is another 6 or 8 months more and the sector would have fully got consolidated the new segments that came in industrial warehousing data centers that right. was so specialized that there were only a few players who have embarked on this journey and hence by virtue of that these sectors the new sectors are anyway very much consolidated because not everybody has uh, come in the bar for entry into a data center or in industrial is pretty high Uh, and hence we are not seeing herd mentality come into these uh, sectors finally i would say is kapil it's really really a great time for the indian real estate uh, given the consolidation that has taken place given the governance that has come in with the developers given the compliance that the government has put in uh, place uh, given the consumerism that is very evident and hence uh, the transparency in the sector Uh, that has been uh, brought in uh, it has made it more mature and worthy of institutional investors at least considering this as an asset class right there are a few things i want to pick up from your comments here one uh, the whole cycle of consolidation is more or less over in the real estate sector starting from the lehman era the second thing is that it's more to do now with more participation from retail than with institution correct and thirdly you are expecting newer models of ownership into the real estate sector uh, in the future yes it is correct what you're saying is that uh, in my opinion you know the consolidation is perhaps uh, no more than 6 to 9 months away i mean it's an it's a journey it will still continue to consolidate but i think the majority of the consolidation would have got completed in the next 6 to 9 months across the various asset classes absolutely correct 
Second, you are right that uh, there are different typology of investors that have emerged. Uh, so, couple in 2006, seven, and then you know, leading up to perhaps pre-demonetization, uh, it used to be high net worth individuals. It used right. to be speculators who would get into the market. You know, these were rather uh, individuals. Now we have institutions. Blackstone, Brookfield, GIC, CPPIB, RDR. These are the ones, you know, who are taking key stakes, key positions within the um, investor community. So suddenly that HNI that was there is starting to disappear. And we are getting all the uh, North American, European sovereign funds come in and invest, uh, which brings in a lot more credibility to the sector and also brings a lot of patience money, patient money. Right. Because with HNI, you know, the patient money wasn't there. With these institutions, we're getting a lot more patient money, also a lot more strategic inputs that they right. bring in to their partners uh, within the Indian real estate. And that's that's... That's the point that uh, I, I really want to communicate is that, you know, we are now on a sort of an up cycle for the real estate industry. And to my mind, you know, this is a very mature, this is a very considered uh, structural up cycle that we are going to see over the next five years uh, for the Indian real estate. Does it mean we're not going to have hiccups? Uh, I think as Indians, we're quite good in creating hiccups, even if we have none. Uh, so we will, through the journey, create hiccups. Uh, but I would say is, um, you know, clearly this is in very safe hands at this moment in time. Uh, and I, I must credit the government. The way that they have brought in the changes within this sector uh, has uh, hugely benefited the well-deserved players as well as the consumer of Indian real estate. Talking about hiccups, I wanted to talk about a few hiccups in the sector in the last year. Steel prices going skyrocketing, all the inputs that go into making of the real estate, uh, cement. Is the worst over or are we still going to see some upswings or volatility in these sectors, uh, including energy, as we have seen in the last year, in this uh, current year? That obviously, you know, dents the confidence of the developer on his ability to source at the right price at the right time. What is your take here? So, um, if you were to ask me, my worst nightmare is the point that you have mentioned, Kapil, is the increase in the prices. The party is going very well at this moment in time. The demand is strong, good quality supply, mature players. Now, the party pooper is exactly what you have identified is this input cost. If the steel cost and the cement and the labor continues to go up, there is only that much ability that the developer will be able to absorb it. Correct. Following which, he's going to start to pass it to the buyer. Now, the buyer would have only that much ability to be able to absorb this in the sale price, after which the buyer will then disappear. And say, right. my salaries haven't gone up to that extent. I am not getting that kind of bonus. I know your cost of input has gone up, but you know, I have no money to right. pay to buy. So, so my, my worry is that how quickly this input cost will continue to go up and to what extent, uh, you know, this will go up. The buyer has an ability to absorb. 
sort of I would say is between five to seven percent increase in the sale price because over the last four five years, Kapil, the prices of residential really hasn't increased. Right. So you know their salaries have gone up, the price of residential hasn't uh, gone up, whilst the input cost has gone up. So the buyer is saying is I can I can pay five seven percent more, but am I going to be able to afford twenty five percent more? For the same product, perhaps not. So, so that's where my worry is that I hope the input cost does not continue to escalate the way that we have seen in the last four to six months, because the buyer at some stage will say that I cannot afford to pay you more than this, and I am not challenging that the developer is right or wrong. I am just saying I don't have the kind of money that you are asking, and that's where the demand will go down. One of the other things, my major worry was that, you know, interest rates were tempering down during the COVID because of a lot of flush of liquidity. And now with the FMOC and several other places where the tempering has happened, there is a perception that the interest rates will start zooming up. So far, the on the retail side and on the developer side, they could absorb this cost of increased cost of inputs by lower financial costs. Now that lever also for them is uh, is now going to extinguish maybe in 2022, which really means that uh, the overall uh, inflation or the cost inflation and the cost of the ownership to the end user is going to increase in 2022. How correct am I in making this statement? Um, so, you know, uh, Neeraj, uh, sorry, uh, Kapil, you, you are correct in that statement. But there's a big assumption in this. And the assumption is that, you know, the cost will continue to go up. Inflation will continue to bite. And if on top of it, the home loan rates start to rise because, uh, you know, the repo rates are starting to go up and firm up and uh, the governments want to suck out the excess liquidity to control the inflation, then it has a double whammy impact. Because one side, the cost of construction uh, and hence the sale price has increased because of the additional cost of construction and the developer is passing that on to the sale price. And on the other hand, the buyer's home loan interest rate starts to increase and that's when, you know, it will have an impact on the demand. Yeah. Having said this, in the near future, I am hoping that we are not going to see this sort of double whammy. And then to some extent, as I said, is that the buyer is willing to pay a higher price uh, because last four or five years they have they have had the ability to uh, pay that additional cost uh, but given where the residential real estate markets in India were the developer just did not push the uh, additional cost and hence the margins of the developers shrunk now it has come to that point that they cannot shrink more margins of their balance right. sheet and hence will pass it on to the home buyer so I am I am hoping that uh, we're not going to immediately start to see dramatic increase in the input cost, or at least I'm hoping. Uh, and similarly, uh, not witnessing a very sharp rise in the home loan rates. Right. There have been a statement by one of the industry done in the on the financing side from HDFC that a word of caution: what's going to happen in 2022. And he did say that there is likelihood of overheating in the real estate sector. Is this something people are anticipating or will anticipate and maybe temper down their 
purchasing or buying decisions? Um, couple to the contrary, what we are seeing is the actual home buyers wanting to do their home acquisition as of today. And the reason for that is that they want to move to better quality building, more open spaces, balconies, you know, bigger apartments, more number of rooms. You know, they have perhaps two kids schooling from home, becoming very difficult uh, to do it. And hence the need has is, is today. So they are actually bringing forward uh, the home buying than delaying it. And uh, my thought is that given where... Uh, the current uh, mindset and human psychology with the COVID, I think residential has become more of a social security. We've seen a lot of the millennials who used to rent now wanting to buy because their parents or spouses or boyfriend or girlfriend is pushing them to have a roof over their head which is owned by them. And, uh, you know, clearly the buyer also knows that this is an attractive market dynamic where the rates haven't started to go up, the prices haven't started to uh, move north and the home loan rates are pretty cheap uh, for them to be able to acquire the properties. Where we are also seeing the urgency is ready to move in. That means anything which is completed and unsold right. is getting lapped up by the home buyers. Correct. Anuj, so I want to summarize our talk uh, on 2022 uh, outlook. Looks to me it's going to be a bullish year according to our uh, algos also. 2022 looks to be uh, up year and investment cycles will continue to go on from here what we have achieved in 2021. So is that a statement which you will subscribe to? Uh, I would absolutely subscribe to that. Kapil, what you're saying is that uh, structurally, I think the market will remain strong. Even beyond 2022, as it says, you know, to me, it does look like at least uh, sort of four or five years, a very strong residential uh, uptake. Are there going to be road bumps? There will be road bumps in it. Would there be, you know, like in every class, uh, there are good students and bad students. Uh, and hence, there, there will be a handful of bad players within the Indian real estate industry, despite the cleansing. And, uh, you know, those those guys would create some hiccups still. But largely, I would say is this is, for good quality developers, a fantastic time uh, with robust demand. Uh, supply has shrunk into a few good quality strong developers. And that the speculator and sort of short-term investor has disappeared completely from the market. And this is a pure end-user game and hence a very sustained uh, recovery that we will see over the next four or five years. Excellent. And well summarized, Anuj. I want to shift gears a little bit, Anuj, on what you called as consumerism uh, earlier in your talk. You see, earlier I used to get a lot of, you know, proposals from various developers, you know, invest in this commercial thing, invest in this, itna fixed return or this much fixed return and this much upside and whatnot. And as you said, these sort of proposals are now drying up because of entry of large scale institutions and foreign institutional advisors. But for a retail investor to participate, a new uh, sort of uh, vehicles are coming up. You know, you are seeing fractional ownership, you are seeing REITs, you are seeing real estate funds for uh, ultra high, uh, high net worth individuals to invest their money 
who then manage that money to invest into real estate uh, developers. How is this consumer cycle expected to mature further in, in uh, 2022? What's your take here? So I, I think we will continue to move towards maturity. Uh, there's no doubt uh, about it. Uh, there are three things that couple uh, uh, why I say that we'll continue to move, move toward maturity. One is the compliances that both at the central and the state government, they put on to the real estate. You know, this is what SEBI did after, you know, that Ketan Park scam. Park, yeah. Uh, so this is, this is that the compliances that have been put in to make the industry a lot more robust. So that's that's the one that there's a lot of safeguards. I mean, when we go bowling, you know, these are the rails that are up now and they will not let the ball go in the alley with the way compliances have been done. Now, somebody wants to, you know, if, if somebody wants to do play dirty, they'll anyway play dirty. But otherwise, the compliances have been put in place. The second is uh, this social media and the ability of the buyer to be able to make sure that there's enough noise in the market which then damages the product or the brand if the consumer hasn't been handled as per his or her expectations so you know previously this social media wasn't there today right. social media is there plus a lot of the millennials are going on to the social media before they're making their position and looking at what the social media is saying about a particular brand. Uh, so so that's the second one where the brands are going to be very conscious and cautious because they're dealing with millennials now and these millennials are very, very, very prone to looking at the repute of the uh, developer on the social media before they are doing the acquisition. And the third, I would say, is a uh, couple is the judiciary who's been, you know, pretty straight with the real estate uh, developers uh, and we have seen uh, across the board whether it is NCR or Western India the important role that judiciary has played in being able to cleanse uh, this uh, sector and developers have understood this that they are no longer going to be able to play the way that they were playing before so either it is like shape up or ship out that's the way that the theme is going on and many good qualities have shaped up and benefited. Some haven't been able to, and hence they're moving out of this sector. So fly-by-night operators and players who have been yeah, having yeah. a shady operations would be probably weeded out. Absolutely correct. I want to take up a small point of uberization of real estate sector in the consumer's hand. You see, there were a lot of uh, people who were looking at Bitcoin-based funding and ownership and secondary market of movement of real estate in an open manner, in a very sustained manner. And obviously, there has been uh, talks uh, of introducing or banning uh, initial token offers and block Bitcoin in India. Is this something that would be affecting the real estate sector as well? Because then I can't buy tokens and I can't own real estate and I can't trade into real estate as a consumer. So Kapil, uh, real estate is still not as sophisticated an investment product Correct. as uh, as the way crypto is. I think it will be some time away uh, where we are going to be able to buy or sell real estate through crypto. Would it come? I'm sure it will come in. 
Um, but even at a global level, I mean, India is that much more uh, removed. But even at a global level, uh, we haven't yet seen trading of real estate as an asset class uh, with uh, with crypto. So uh, uh, to answer your question, uh, you know, the adverse ruling on crypto is not going to have any impact on the buying and selling of real estate because uh, we're not seeing the trading within real estate being done through crypto. Correct. So I understand that the secondary markets for real estate at the consumer end may take some more time. It's just the primary sales at this point in time, correct. which will fuel the growth of the real estate sector. Absolutely correct. Hey, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about a lot of startups which have started uh, entering the real estate sector using tech and new age technology like artificial intelligence and using technology as a way to manage real estate and change or transform uh, the whole product or the real estate development as well. What are you going to see? Are you, you've also invested in a few startups in this sector uh, as well using tech. What are you seeing? How are these players going to shape up? Are you, are we going to see a unicorn on the real estate, not the zero broker and, uh, you know, all those sort of people who are just intermediating, but real value addition into the real estate sector value chain. Are you seeing some trends appearing? and which could probably be mainstream next year or maybe the year after? Um, certainly, couple. You know, real estate is a very large asset class. It is one of the few assets that have not been disrupted by technology. And I do feel that the way PropTech has gained prominence even before COVID and much more during COVID, that this is here to stay as, uh, as, as prop tech, which will bring in more efficiency, more productivity, to an extent disrupt as well the traditional way of doing real estate uh, business. So globally, if you were to see, we have a number of unicorns in the US in the prop tech right. space. Given where the India market is on the you know, real estate, uh, it's only you know a matter of time that you're going to see uh, much of the disruption coming in to the real estate through technology. I mean, couple we started four years ago. We're selling, and these are hard sales. It's not lead generation. Selling, selling over eighteen thousand apartments today a year. Eighteen thousand apartments. You can't do this without tech, without digital. And you know the largest agent prior to that would have sold, I don't know how much, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 apartments. And that also they may have taken, you know, 10, 12, 15 years to build it up. So yeah. definitely the prop tech space is very vibrant. It's a big, large segment which remains, which remains are to be disrupted by technology and to bring in more efficiency and productivity, thereby you know, delivering a lot of dollars uh, to the various stakeholders. So I would summarize by saying in America, we've seen a number of prop tech unicorns. In emerging markets like India, it's only a matter of time that you will start to see having run a prop tech business now, a solid prop tech business 
which by the way makes huge amount of profit for us <laughs> it's not one of those yeah. businesses which is a cash flow business it's a hugely profitable business uh, and you know i see no reason why you know businesses like these uh, will not prosper and will not contribute to the indian real estate successfully saving money for the various stakeholders who are connected with it and the business being meaningfully profitable hey i want to dwell on this point a little bit we do expect some game changers and obviously the millennials are people who bet on sustainability high tech health and well being are you going to see some game changers emerging in the real estate sector maybe next year or the year after or maybe in the medium term so there will be there will be num- number of disruptors exactly the points that you have mentioned you know sustainability uh, the youngsters today are very clear that they do want sustainable environment sustainable development um, if you look at most of the offices good quality offices you know they will have leed certified platinum or gold standard uh, you know put outside uh, so that the people who are entering the building know that this is a sustainable building we are seeing that ask come in on the residential uh, today so uh, the disruption and the way the uh, progress of the indian real estate sector has been over the last 20 years is going to be very different to what we are now going to see over the next 5 years because the the information technology the millennial who are coming today and buying the residential real estate are very international very cosmopolitan and they are wanting to see the same value adds which are being brought in western world on the real estate being implemented in the indian market which in the past wasn't the case uh, but given where the indian workforce in terms of its cosmopolitan and international nature has arrived they are wanting very quickly the best practices of the mature markets to be implemented within the indian real estate market well summarized uh, anuj and i believe there is going to be a very fast transition to global uh, levels like the us europe and other advanced economies in the indian real estate sector absolutely correct absolutely and you know that's uh, let's hope uh, we continue to progress well um, you know deliver well and ensure that the customer is kept at the first priority by all the stakeholders concerned so customer centricity or getting the whole customer journey around the real estate would be critical using tech i guess yeah, very true anuj what are is your your expectations from the budget and the finance minister for the sector uh, in the coming year um so you know uh, my expectation is how can we continue to bring in more transparency within this sector how can we attract more foreign institutional capital into this uh, sector and how can we bring in equity into the residential real estate sector equity in office and retail has very much come in through the reit format uh, equity in the residential is coming through the ipo but there are other means by which uh, we should be able to bring in international equity into the residential development sector so that's the expectation on a broad terms uh, from the budget to be able to bring more liquidity 
more sustainable development and more transparency within the Indian real estate sector. Do you think there would be another stiff regulation to cap uh, rogue money and incidents like Panama Papers, uh, which is and a little bit more scrutiny for the developers, like we as fund managers go through scrutiny and a regulatory body that looks into all this, which will come soon into the real estate sector? I think the sector has gone through uh, a lot of cleansing already. And, uh, you know, given the way uh, that uh, this government is functioning, it's very clear that they're not going to allow anything uh, which is sort of immoral uh, within the trade. Uh, So I do believe is that if there is anything uh, which is uh, going to be uh, non-transparent and is going to cause sort of grief in the long run, uh, compliances will come in to be able to address and ensure uh, that these any any bad practices uh, that are there are immediately culled and not encouraged. Last question before I let you go: Who are the developers or the players? Because you are a, you mediate a lot that you're going to bet on in for the future. <laughs> a number of them, uh, I would say, is on the listed space. Uh, number of uh, developers, I really value them. Uh, I mean, Goodridge, uh, Lodhas, uh, you know, Prestige, Brigade, DLF, uh, many, 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 many of these uh, that I would say is very pedigreed, very quality conscious, uh, very focused towards the delivery uh, side. In terms of the product, uh, you know, I would continue to uh, focus on the three large segments, residential office and retail. Uh, to me, there is a lot more that needs to be done within these three asset classes. I really appreciate your time, Anuj, and thank you so much. And before I let you go, I'd like to thank your team and our team for making it possible, our sponsors. And I do wish you and the real estate industry uh, as general uh, happy and prosperous 2022. Thanks and uh, have a nice day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye, Kapil. Bye.